The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. It's been a busy day. Usually when I record late, it's because I've been uh, working on something for you all. Other times, there's just, uh, you know, life happens. But today, I've been working on some stuff and, uh, you know, some content over at jeanspage.com, obviously. But, um... We're going to talk today a lot about 1998. You know, we're going to honor the Mississippi State SEC Western Championship Division team this weekend, ironically against Kentucky, and they beat us that year. We're going to break down the season. We'll go back and look at that. I'm going to explain to you why this that so special to us that 1998 team was, uh, you know, really kind of our heyday in many respects because for so many years, it just felt like Mississippi State was just kind of an also ran in the SEC West. It's kind of how it feels right now. It's been a while since we really challenged for the SEC West and uh, makes it all the more precious. Well, we, we have been to Atlanta. We have seen our team's name in the end zone of the SEC championship game. We have. Not everybody can say that. Uh, and this, of course, the last year of the SEC West. And so this year's SEC West champion will be the final. SEC West champion. You know, years ago, we used to play baseball only against your division, right? And so you only play Western division teams. Same thing on the East, right? And then the winners of the divisions would play a championship series. Kind of cool. I don't know if we should go back to that. I kind of like going over to Hoover, even though we hadn't been the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, the world is changing. It is. One interesting note, too, that, uh, you know, we hadn't talked a lot about NIL on the show lately. But uh, there is a, I guess it's a Supreme Court decision, one of the state Supreme Courts, but um, pretty big decision here recently that is going to allow student athletes from 2016 up until the NAL was uh, opened, I guess, back in 18, 19? No, that was transfer portal. My mistake. No, save your tweets. But anyway, there's a class action lawsuit that's been filed for back pay. And it's interesting. A lot of people said they expected this decision to turn out the way that it did. And uh, I'm told that it could cost Mississippi State about $21 million for each one of those years. It's crazy to think about, right? And so as we kind of learn more about that, we'll share that here on the show. Uh, I know Mike Nemeth and Nemo's notes will have some things on that in the weeks to come. But, um, you know, in many respects, we've opened up a bit of a Pandora's box here. 
when it's come to NIL. I was in favor of NIL the way that it was pitched to us, as I've shared with you guys many times. But uh, now, we're, now, according to this court decision, we're going to have to all go back and provide back pay for people that weren't even playing when NIL was a thing. And so I kind of questioned the wisdom of some of that. Uh, we have got to find a way to get our arms around this and make sure that it makes sense. Because if you don't think it's going to have a financial impact on facilities and player amenities and things like that going forward, you're kidding yourself. If the university is on the hook for millions of dollars, for tens of millions of dollars, for multiple years that predate NIL, you can only begin to imagine. you got to begin to start making some cuts somewhere. And there's some other athletic departments out there that aren't are near the financial shape that Mississippi State is. You know, thankfully, we're part of the Southeastern Conference. You know, we've got some money. We don't have as much as some of our neighbors. But when you start considering having to write those checks, that's uh, pretty remarkable. And now you're going to have people that basically that will join a class action lawsuit that love Mississippi State, that for all intents and purposes will be suing Mississippi State, the university they, they love, for funds that now a judge says they're entitled to for a measure that didn't exist when they played. How far do we go back there? If we set a precedent here, do we go all the way back to the, uh, you know, the beginning of the university? I mean, where does it stop? Because once you open the gates and you start involving financial compensation for people, there are going to be other people that say, well, hey, we want some money too. We weren't provided these opportunities when we played. And those are the things that I think about. College athletics right now is in um, a really bad place. A really bad place. And it's because the adults and the decision makers in this entire thing have botched NIL. They had a chance. Mark Emmert and his cronies had a chance to kind of get ahead of things and set some guardrails for all of this. And they didn't. You know, it all goes back to the O'Bannon lawsuit. All over the EA Sports gaming situation, right? Oh, they're using my... My image to sell video games and I'm not sharing in the profits. Okay, well, I can kind of understand that. But what about all these other people that, um, you know, weren't a part of that? And so it's a complicated issue. It's going to require a lot of time to digest. And uh, I'll update you as we get things. But uh, that, that happened, oh, I don't know, six weeks ago. It was kind of brought to my attention today and say, this is kind of flying under the radar here. But this is going to be a very, very expensive situation for every D1 sporting institution in the country. And so we've spent so much time and effort trying to educate our people on, hey, we want you to give the NIL and give it a Bulldog initiative, and, and that all makes sense. It does. But when we have to start compensating people that uh, you know weren't around when NIL was legal, I think it's a very slippery slope. And again, I'm educating myself on this decision, and uh, you can do your own research, but it is something that nobody's really talking about, which is interesting to me. And I, I know a lot of that, too, is because, you know, you get, uh, you get leaks, you know, from, uh, you know, college football leaders and things like that. I think people are just kind of in shock right now that this decision has come down. And again, I've read some of the opinions, and people are like, oh, we, we expected this to happen. Well, if you expected this to happen, why didn't you take some steps to prevent it? It's incredible.
Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and you will too if you don't already. You may already have a raving love affair with Bulldog Burger Company. And I, it's love at first bite, man, it is. I love being able to go in there and put my feet under the table and be able to enjoy quality food at a great price and quality service. An amazing atmosphere at all three locations. No matter where you're coming from or coming to, the greater Starkville area, you got options. Of course, you've got the original one, Stark Vegas uh, University Drive, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. And you never know. We may be bringing a Bulldog Burger Company to your town at some point. Go in there, have the spring rolls, make America a more beautiful place. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. And get that great restaurant quality hamburger, one of the fine delicacies in life that we afford ourselves. And get dessert to go. Big, big proponent of dessert to go. No matter where you eat. But uh, that bread pudding at uh, Bulldog Burger Company, absolutely outstanding. And maybe you don't want to do that. You say, you know what, Steve, I'd like to have my dessert to go, but I want to you know, eat it or drink it on the way home. That's cool, too. Get that Nutella shake. Let them know when you get ready to uh, finish up your meal. Go ahead and start those shakes. They bring a check. They'll bring them out for you. <clears throat> you can pay your bill and ride that ride home with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about 1998. It was uh, kind of the best of times, was it not? I think we'd all agree. Uh, what's interesting, too, you know, you go back and you think about the Jackie Sherrill era. There's so much of that. that uh, we got uh, you know, some information about Coach uh, that we'll share here later in the show, too. But, you know, Jackie Sherrill showed up, and he gave us some pride in what we had. He used to always talk about, I want Bulldog fans to be able to have that coffee mug at work and be able to, you know, sip their coffee, poke their chest out a little bit, right? But Coach brought, you know, an edge to Mississippi State sports. You know, one of the things that I've always admired about Coach is that, you know, when it came to Ole Miss, who kind of ran the state for so long, you know, Jackie would spit him in the face and there I'm going to spit back. You know, that, that's just kind of how he carried himself. And, of course, you know, they eventually came for him, as they always do. But uh, Jackie gave us a lot to cheer about. And, you know, and you go back and you think, okay, Coach got here in 92. All right, so that's not right. 91. 91 before we went to the uh, – before we went to divisions. But he was here in 91. We go 7-5 and five that year. We lose the Liberty Bowl to Air Force, 38-15. to 15. In 92, another 7-5 and five year, and we lose the Peach Bowl to North Carolina. 93 was a 4-5 and five year, 4-5-2 year. In 94, we got back on the stick, and we go 8-4, and four, and we lose the Peach Bowl again to Mike O'Kane and NC State. And there were some people down there thinking, you know what, Coach Sherrill has won some big regular season games, but he can't seem to win the bowl game. 95 was a tough year for us, 3-8. and eight. That's the Eric Mould year, 96. We go five and six, and there were a lot of people in 96 who wanted to fire Jackie Sherrill. We hadn't won a ball game, back-to-back losing years. We're a three-and-six team and found a way to upset Alabama. We tore the goalpost down, and then we beat Ole Miss, 17-0 in the slop, Kevin Sluter's finest moment at Mississippi State. So we ended up five and six. We didn't make a ball game, but we had some juice toward the end of the year because of those big wins over Alabama and over Ole Miss. Um, went four and four in the league that year. Excuse me, three and five in the league that year. 
but uh, two huge wins late that kind of made us think, okay, let's give Coach another year. Well, in 97, we go 7-4. and four. We lose the Egg Bowl on two-point conversion, Stuart Patrick to Corey Peterson. Uh, we, we attempted a field goal late to kind of put the game away, and we missed it. Probably should have punted. You know, we blessed with the gift of hindsight, right? But we knew we had a winning season, and uh, the winner of the Egg Bowl went to the Motor City Bowl, and that was Ole Miss, and they took on Randy Moss and Marshall. And Ole Miss won that game. But even though we didn't make a bowl game, it felt like, you know what, hey, we're moving back in the right direction. And then 98 happens, and I remember you can go back and watch that 1998 SEC West Championship video. Uh, I suspect you can still get a copy of it through the TV center if you so desire one. I have a VHS that's on everything played on. And the players, you know, Josh Morgan and many others said, hey, our goal this year is to win the West. We've never done that. And people laughed. People kind of scoffed and said, oh, come on. Mississippi State, you know, Jackie Sherrill's just a year away from being fired. When we get to 98, and Coach Sherrill had taken some steps and gone out and put some great players on this roster. Many of them be back on campus this weekend. Wayne Madkin, a freshman quarterback uh, for us out of Montgomery, Alabama. Ole Miss got Romero Miller. We got Wayne Madkin. Wayne Madkin made it to the SEC championship game. Romero Miller did not. All right, so let's take this uh, 1998 season and kind of look at it, you know, in its entirety. So we open up the year at Scott Field against Vanderbilt. And this Mississippi State defense was absolutely stifling that year. Absolutely incredible. You know, the dog pound rock became a thing. And I remember Coach Sherrill saying they even had recruits asking him, hey, Coach, if I come to Mississippi State, can I lead the dog pound rock? Of course, that, uh, you know, that designation was held for Kenzaki Jones. The guy that was an emotional leader on this team and uh, not much of a starter. I mean, he played some. But uh, you know, by and large, he was one of those great locker room guys, kind of a special teams demon. He did play some uh, you know, on defense. But we get out there and we do the, uh, the dog pound rock on the field. Eventually, they said we, could, we had to stop doing it. You know, the SEC passed their uh, sportsmanship initiative and said we couldn't do that. Yeah. They allow some other people to, uh, to have these chants with profanity in them. I don't think that's very sportly, sportsmanlike either. But State beats Vanderbilt 42 to nothing. And it was a game, too, that probably could have been worse. And just so you guys know, 32,150 people came to see it. That's it. That's it. The next week we go to Memphis – and uh, it's a 7-6 ball game late. And we score late and make it 14-6. And there were people like, ah, you know, I don't know. Ah, Steve, I don't know about this team. Yeah, we won the game. We probably should have knelt on it rather than, uh, you know, going for the touchdown there because of the fact that, um, you know, they could come back. It makes it a one-possession game. We could have just run the clock out. But instead, we go for it, and uh, we win 14-6. It wasn't a great Memphis team either. They went 2-9 and nine that year. Vandy wasn't great either. Another two-win team when it's all said and done. And so, yeah, you expect to beat Vandy. You beat them convincingly. And then you just kind of slip out of Memphis with an eight-point victory. 28,467 people turned up to show at that 11:30 game. On September 12th, I'm sure it was hot, right? And that's what I'm, well, you know, Steve, I mean, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, 
I mean, we act like that, uh, you know, fan support, you know, or sometimes fan apathy is a, uh, a new phenomenon. It's not. So the 2-0 Bulldogs hit the road to go take on the top 25 ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. You know, a nice opponent. They actually went 5-6 and six that year, and uh, we lost the game. 42-23. And again, Oklahoma State, top 25 at the time, finishes the year with a 5-6 and six record. And so at that point, some people are like, you know, I just don't know. Don't know about these Bulldogs. The next week, excuse me, two, two weeks later, no, it was the next week, uh, we head to South Carolina and go to Williams-Brice Stadium. Now, Phil Petty was our, the quarterback at South Carolina back then. I don't know that he ever finished the game against Mississippi State. I think we knocked him out of every game. In this game, we got after him pretty good. 38 to nothing in this ball game. It was a JPS game again, 11-30. You know, Dave Neal and Dave Rowe were on the call. And so you look up, and all of a sudden, State's 2-0 and in the SEC. Okay, these Bulldogs are 3-1. and And outside of a road date to Oklahoma State who was ranked in the top 25 at the time, you start thinking, okay, well, maybe they're okay. Over 70,000 people attended that game in South Carolina. I suspect probably less than 500 were in Maroon. Things got really serious two weeks later. We had Auburn come to Mississippi State, and it's like Auburn had been a familiar foe for us. You know, of course, you know, they dominated us in the 80s, absolutely dominated us. And we'd win a game every now and again. This wasn't a great Auburn team. They went 3-8, and 1-7 and seven in the Southeastern Conference. And State got all over them in this ballgame. State wins the ballgame 38-21 in Starkville. And again, 11-30 kick. It's October. I'm sure it was hot. You know, I'm sure something good was on Netflix back then. No, it wasn't. Netflix didn't exist. But just over 40,000 people, 40,029 people, Came to watch the ball game. And the Bulldogs won that ball game convincingly. And what's interesting, too, you go back and you look at all this kind of in hindsight. You know, that, that Auburn football team, you know, they had really struggled coming in. They were they were a one and three team when they arrived, but all three losses were the top twenty five opponents. Lost to Virginia. They beat Ole Miss seventeen nothing in Oxford. They lose to number seven LSU, lose to number three Tennessee. But those games were largely competitive. And State put up 38 points in that ball game with a very pedestrian offense. That's the most points allowed by that Auburn team. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. 
Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, many of us grew up in a time we didn't lock our doors. We didn't feel the need to. We didn't have a need to. But the world is a much different place today than it was when we were much younger. Surely you've seen your neighbors have these video doorbells and things of that nature. You can have the same peace of mind, but also the convenience that you grew up with, with our friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y. Very, 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 very simple product here. Very easy to install, and you set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. No drilling required, no power tools, anything like that. You get the keyless entry. You don't have to fumble around with the keys when you got your hands full. You never have to worry about your kids losing their keys, or perhaps you've got a rental property and you worry about people passing that key around. You also don't have the anxiety of having this battery that goes down on you. It's Guys, you got four months of power here, and you get a low battery notification before it runs out so you can charge it back up. It's pretty simple. There's no monthly fee, unlike a lot of other brands that charge you that fee. You can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. Uh, Eufy is also on standby for you 24-7, and you can get a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or even live chat, which is awfully, awfully convenient. And here's the thing. There's just so much out there in the world these days. Wouldn't it be nice to know maybe who visited your door when you're out or perhaps have the security of knowing that you've got video surveillance anytime somebody comes to your door? We absolutely can. Make sure that you look for Eufy Video Lock. That's visit E-U-F-Y official.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete troll of your door. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? 
Point your toes west. So now all of a sudden, State's 3-0 in the SEC. For homecoming, we had uh, East Tennessee State beat the Pirates 53-6. My good friend Ernie Turner got married that day. I remember going back and forth during a reception to go listen to the ball game and see what the score was. The next week, I got to see the Bulldogs in person down in Baton Rouge. So we got ready to take on LSU. And LSU, that LSU team was uh, a decent team. We thought we had a chance to be better than those guys. And uh, that LSU team, it's interesting. They opened up 3-0 and then lost the next three. But they lose to Georgia, Florida, and then Kentucky in a 39-36 game. They lose to Georgia in Tiger Stadium by one point. They had... They played pretty well, even in three losses. You know, the trip to the Swamp was 22-10. to 10. And so the Tigers were sleeping a little bit, and uh, they absolutely destroyed us that day, 41-6. to six. We scored late and then missed the extra point just to add insult to injury. 41-6. to six. And I remember listening to Jim Hawthorne on the way home. Jim Hawthorne, the uh, grandfather of Ani's, my son Ani's best friend growing up, Justin Hawthorne talking about the realistic chances of LSU still winning the West, despite the fact that they had uh, lost three. Because I think they thought, well, Mississippi State, you know, I mean, you know, it's just the Bulldogs, right? State's 3-1, and one, we're two games behind them, we can catch them. That LSU team didn't win another game the rest of the year. Let that sink in for a second. As bad as that day was, at 41-6, LSU didn't win a game the rest of the year. Right in the middle of the Jerry DiNardo era. You know, Jerry in his fourth year goes four and seven. But the final game, final win, was against State. They lose to Ole Miss, lose to Alabama, lose at Notre Dame, and then lose at Arkansas. Last two of those opponents were top 15 teams. If there was ever an LSU team we should have beat, that's one of them. The next week we think we'll bounce back, and we did in many respects – we lose 37-35 to Kentucky and Tim Couch in Commonwealth Stadium in Lexington. Pretty crazy game. We had our chances to win this ball game. We blew it, and we lost. And at that point, we all thought, you know what? Hey, you know, we're done with this SEC West thing. Let's just try to get to a ball game somewhere. We got five wins under our belt. Maybe we can get a couple more. We didn't get in the previous year at 7-4, and four, but we felt like maybe the league owed us a little something. Because back in those days, you didn't have the SEC making the pairing. So the contracts were different back then. That's how Alabama got to go at 6 and 6 of the Independence Bowl. And a 7 and uh, 7 and 4, excuse me, 6 and 5 Alabama team got in and the Ole Miss team didn't uh, later. But we lose that ball game 37 35. So now you're 3 and 2 in the Southeastern Conference. Got some very difficult games coming up. Alabama comes to Mississippi State on November the 14th. And J.J. Johnson, really one of the most heroic performances uh, that we've seen him have. And this Alabama team was not an elite team, but they were still a very good team. They went 7-5 seven and, and five that year, including the loss in the bowl games. So they're 7-4 and four in the regular season. And uh, your Bulldogs take them down. I think J.J. Johnson had 100 carries in this game. But State wins 26-14 in Starkville. And just over 40,000 people tuned in. Show it. Another 11.30 a.m. kick. 
The next week, Arkansas comes to town. What's crazy about this Arkansas team is they had Tennessee beat and Clint Sterner stumbles and falls and fumbles the football. Tennessee recovers, and then they win the game in the final moments. And so Arkansas came to Starkville, you know, with a lead over Mississippi State. But if State won the game, we would take control of the SEC West because we would hold a tiebreaker over Arkansas. Brian Hazelwood kicked a school record five field goals. Offensively, we just could not get things going. Even We had the big uh, interception return that got us inside the 20. We had to kick a field goal. We, had, we went 22-21 on Hazelwood's uh, boot at the end, and, and I'll be honest with you, off his foot, I thought it was no good. So you knock off Houston Nutt. Arkansas was the talk of college football at the time, and now Mississippi State needed to just simply go to Ole Miss and win or have Arkansas lose to LSU. Arkansas was ranked ninth in the country that day when Mississippi State beat them. And for those of you that were in attendance and those of you that watch it from home, you remember that our Arkansas team was legit. They open up the year, was it 8-0? Yeah, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8-0. They lose at number one Tennessee and then lose at Mississippi State the next week. They did rally to beat LSU the Friday after Thanksgiving, but that game was purely academic because Mississippi State took care of Ole Miss. Pretty impressive victory, too, if you recall. Bulldogs 28-6 winners. Uh, Romero Miller did not play in the game, if memory serves me correct. And I'm confident that's correct. I think David Sanders uh, was the uh, quarterback for Ole Miss and the only touchdown pass of his career went to Tim Nelson of Mississippi State. Bulldogs went 28-6, and then we get ready to head to Atlanta. And looking back at the SEC Western Division standings, you know, State wins by virtue of the tiebreaker. We went 6-2 and two that year. It's not like we snuck in. State goes 6-2. and two. Arkansas also finished 6-2, and two, but, of course, State holds a tiebreaker. Alabama was 4-4 four and four in the league. State beat them. Ole Miss was 3-5 and five in the league. State beat them. LSU 2-6. and six. They beat us. And then Auburn 1-7. We beat them. So we beat everybody in the West that year except for LSU. On the eastern side of things, of course, you had uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina who finished 4-5-6. and six. And that was the big rub about this team. A lot of people are like, well, yeah, they didn't, but, but State didn't play Tennessee, Florida, or Georgia. And as Jackie Sherrill so astutely said, well, they didn't play us either. You know, I suspect, and I remember Jackie Sherrill saying this, I suspect if you ask Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia, they would rather have played somebody other than Mississippi State. The Bulldog defense was legit. So we go to Atlanta, and we finally get a chance to take on Tennessee. And even though we didn't win the game, we really legitimized ourselves that year and legitimized this 98 team. The big moment, lightning has struck. Kevin Prentice with the punt return put State up 14-10. Late in that ball game, and as good as our defensive effort was, you thought, you know, maybe you got a chance. And then Peerless Price kills us down the stretch. Wayne Matkin had a big fumble, got blindsided, not Wayne's fault. And we lose 24-14 in the SEC championship game. And it was such chaos that weekend, too. It was absolutely chaos in college football. As a lot of the teams ranked ahead of us in the BCS got defeated. Not that we were going to make the BCS NAFL championship game. But it was just absolute chaos and, and really kind of opened things up for Tennessee. 
you lose the uh, game in Atlanta, and then you head to Texas and uh, play in the Cotton Bowl against number 20, Texas. Of course, Jackie Sherrill had kind of been the nemesis of Longhorns over the years, including two wins against them at Mississippi State. One in Starkville and one at Austin. And I, I knew from the very first drive, offensively for us, we were in trouble. And not because the Tennessee or Texas was more physical than us, that there's an obvious pass interference call right in front of the back judge. And they don't call it. And you feel like, you know what, we're in trouble. And that stadium absolutely exploded. Ricky Williams was at Texas. We were going to have a tough time stopping him. You know, the bigger, the bigger issue was that we had trouble scoring against that Texas defense. And, and they get us 38-11. to 11. And so you end the year on a two-game losing streak. But I'll tell you this. As far as two-game losing streaks go, when one of those two is in the SEC championship game, it, it kind of makes it a little bit easier to deal with, right? But what a great team it was. And, uh, you know, Bulldogs, you know, ranked a few times on the year. But never inside the top 20. You know, I always just kind of hovered around between 20 to 25 uh, in the polls. We didn't get a lot of respect because of, uh, you know, depth of schedule. And, again, you run through this, and we did play some teams that weren't very good that year. But we don't make the Southeastern Conference schedule. We were willing to go on the road and play at Oklahoma State. It was before the Power Five mandate existed and then have to navigate through the SEC West. And we were picked dead last that year in the West. And, again, beat everybody but LSU in the West. And so when people say, well, this Mississippi State team uh, played the bottom half of the East, well, we, you know, we all agree that the SEC West is the toughest neighborhood in college football. And we beat everybody but LSU and should have beat LSU. But uh, an incredible season, and we will honor that great group uh, this weekend. And, and uh, we've had some, had some players that uh, have moved along. You know, I go back and think about uh, Michael Cooper. Of course, big catch against Arkansas on a big play. Throw from Wayne Madkin. They kept the drive alive for us to kick the game-winning field goal. Mike uh, died in a car accident a few years ago. Uh, God rest his soul. Len Amity was our offensive coordinator, former LSU guy. Jilly Dunn, of course, your defensive coordinator. But uh, things began to change around Mississippi State football. We talk about those crowds being around 40,000. You know, Scott Field's capacity back then was just under 41,000. We didn't have these fancy end zones we had today. And so capacity's changed a lot. And uh, Bulldog fans did turn up, you know, in limited number because we you know, somewhat limited in capacity. But uh, when I think about this team, there's so many great memories just because of the fact. I remember telling my wife before that kick went off, I said, you know what? We don't win these kinds of games at Mississippi State. Nothing good ever happens to us. But we did, and we changed the narrative in many respects. And, of course, you, you end up having the great 99 year and had a really good year in 2000. You know, just kind of looking back at that roster for those of you that are unfamiliar with it. I mean, J.J. Johnson, of course, went to the National Football League. That year for us, he had 236 rushing attempts for 1,383 yards. Of course, Wayne Madkin, Matt Wyatt, Rob Morgan, as your quarterbacks. Dennis McKinley. Spent some time in the league as a fullback. You know, Chris Randy, now that coaches at Amory. Chris is a part of that team. Had a couple of huge runs against Arkansas. Of course, Senzo, DeCenzo Miller, much, very much a fan favorite. Pig Prather out of Faulkner, Mississippi. 
an incredible athlete. Rod Gibson, still a Mississippi State recruiting staffer, was a part of that team. Justin Griffith, of course, who went to the league for a while also. Of course, KP. I mentioned Kevin Cooper. Kelvin Love transferred in as a quarterback from Oklahoma Community College and developed into a wide receiver. Matt Butler, of course, uh, 99, his shining moment for Matt was the big touchdown catch against Auburn. Uh, Lahiti Grant, another player that we had some high hopes for, as we did Harold Lindsey. Reggie Kelly, of course, spent some time in the National Football League. John Jennings, a big physical tight end for us. Terrence McCaskey was an absolute monster for Mississippi State. Running through this offensive line here, Eric Allen, Anthony Cap, Stoney Price, Randy Thomas, NFL guy, Portshot Womack, NFL guy, Wes Shivers had some big moments for us, but also uh, ultimate fighter, right? Uh, John Hilliard and Larry Campbell, outstanding defensive players, Cornell Menifee, Kevin Sluter mentioned him earlier, Edward Smith, number two, an incredible player, just an absolute monster against Arkansas. Alvin McKinley, Kenwan Smith, Burt Keys, Baron Simpson, Jamal Dinkins, Robert Bean, NFL guy, Kenzaki Jones, talked about him earlier, Tim Nelson, Mighty Mouse, phenomenal player, Kendall Roberson, Adesla Badan, I can still hear Jack Crystal saying that name, Ashley Cooper, one of my favorite players of all time, Eric Daniel, another guy that played in the league, Anthony Derricks, and your punter Jeff Walker. Those guys are royalty at Mississippi State. They've done something no other team has ever done. And with the change in the format of the SEC schedule, we'll, we'll remain the only SEC West champions in the history of Mississippi State football. Pretty remarkable to think about. And a team, obviously, that uh, we still hold in very high regard, as we should. So I'm glad they're being honored. It is kind of ironic we're doing it against Kentucky, a team they lost to. But uh, to bring back the interlocking MSU, and as Arnett said, hey, if we win Saturday, let's just wear it all the time. I'm in favor of that, especially if we win. And uh, Arnett kind of joked and said, you know, I may have Rod Gibson get up and speak to the team. I talked to Rod earlier this week, and uh, he goes, you know, Jackie Sherrill wasn't really big on motivational speeches. I don't really know how to give one. And he said, all he would ever say is, let's go. Let's go kick their you-know-whats. <laughs> what else do you need to hear? And it's so on brand for Jackie. And uh, the thing that I think this team is missing right now, and heck, I don't know if you don't let Jackie address a team Saturday. But we had such an edge back then. Nobody wanted to play Mississippi State. You, you forget what people say nowadays. The, those late 90s teams, nobody wanted to line up and play State. I've shared this with you guys before, but back before message boards were a real big thing, we used to access Atlanta. I remember Toriana Blade posting over there, Willie Blade's sister. I remember like it was yesterday. Access Atlanta had SEC forums for every team, and then they had like the one just for everybody talking about SEC. We had so much respect around this league because people knew how physical our defense was, and Ashley Cooper was an absolute trained assassin. A former soccer player that kind of figured it out when he got over here. But a phenomenal player. You know, there's a reason the name dog safety. Like, if you were alive back then, for you young people – if you mentioned the phrase dog safety to your dad, he's going to just kind of like wince. Just because we had so many physical players and we brought blitzes from so many different angles. And we would get after you in every possible way that nobody wanted to line up. And I remember seeing Gene Stallings give a, um, 
kind of a class about the Mississippi State defense. It, I don't remember. It was on the the old Jefferson Pilot Network or whatever. But they had this whole, you know, they're previewing games, and he was writing up about Mississippi State. He goes, you know, you have eleven, they have eleven. The problem that you have is that one of yours is the quarterback, so you can't account for everybody. And Mississippi State will find a way to get their number eleven guy on your quarterback. And he broke down all the different blitzes and how we did so many things that were so exotic to disguise coverages and how we didn't uh, – we, we timed our blitzes up so well we didn't tip them. And it was so much fun back then, and it wasn't just because the offense wasn't great. But we would rather watch the Bulldogs play defense back then because they were so much more entertaining. And, again, that's not a shot at the offense. We had some guys that really played hard for us and made some big plays. But you never knew when our defense might score. There was one stretch beginning of that year, if I'm not mistaken, I think the defense scored the first four games. That's a part of things. And you never knew when we were going to deliver that big shot on your quarterback. And we were always on the edge of our seats waiting for it. And, of course, this carried over to 99, which is another great year in Mississippi State history. But this 98 team is worthy of our respect. And uh, if you are unfamiliar with that team, when they are presented this Saturday, I'm going to ask a, I'm going to ask a favor of you, and especially to you students. Spread the word. Let's all stand and show them the respect they deserve and ring those cowbells loud and proud. Because those men now, when they were young men, represented your university in a way that really had never happened before. They did something nobody's ever done. So they deserve recognition that nobody's ever had. Our right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. Many of you have needs. Maybe some of you have it taken care of. I don't know. But you're probably going to have mortgage needs in the future, whether you're looking for a second mortgage to refinance or to buy another house. I, I don't know. I do know this. I know that Blair Chandler can get you to the closing table when maybe some others can't. You know, it's such a convoluted process. It's so stressful. And it's the last thing you ever want to deal with. I, I, I've told Dana before, I'm not buying another house. And even though I've bought a handful of houses, I really don't want to have to go through all that again. There's so much with it that makes no sense to me, but you know what? It makes sense to Blair. So Blair can help you be prepared to deal with all of the ups and downs of the mortgage lending process because he's got 22 years of experience. Now with Priority One Mortgage, he's asked me to share his phone number with you. For those of you that are in need, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Blair, top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back-to-back years. Again, you could entrust your mortgage to just about anybody. But do you really want to? Stick with the winners. Stick with Blair Chandler. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right, sticking with our theme of 1998, we've done a variation of this list before, but we're going to do the Rock of 98. The Rock of 1998. And uh, it was a weird time in music. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, You didn't have uh, heavy metal per se. You know, Metallica was doing some things out there. They were really one of the only people that were still kind of carrying the banner. Of course, not a lot of people are. Speaking of which, Mick Mars, you know, guitar player for Motley Crue, legendary guitar player. First single on his uh, solo album was released earlier this week, Loyal to the Lie. It's outstanding. 
It's a lot harder and a lot more modern than I expected. And I, I dig it, so check it out. But uh, the late 90s, early 2000s were much, much different. It's almost like we were lost in the woods in many respects. And so the list kind of reflects that. It really does. Because we were in a post-grunge era. Because, you know, grunge lasted about 15 minutes. And there's so many people today are like, oh, there's grunge and flannel shirts. And, you know, guys, it didn't last long. It really didn't. And I know that the uh, music industry were hoping for more because they kept pouring out these... Uh, you know, watered-down acts from Seattle. You know, once once the headliners kind of got out of there, it was really watered down. They kept dumping it on us, and done it just people rejected it. And the subject matter in a lot of grunge stuff was, uh, you know, not as successful. I mean, I mean, how often can you listen to the same, the same stuff over and over again? Uh, but it was different in the late 90s. You know, you had uh, you know bands like Everclear and Blink-182 were being formed, and I want to apologize to you guys for that. You know, we, we should have been you know, better defenders of the faith. It's true. You know it's true. You may not admit it, but it's true. But here are my favorite rock songs from 1998. And they're a little more true to the rock. Right. There's some bands I absolutely refuse to promote on this show. And uh, a lot of it's just because it, it's I'm so inundated with all that stuff. It's like people are like, oh, yeah, well, this was great. No, it wasn't. What was so great about it? Oh, I just kind of liked it. OK, well, that's fine. I'm not going to be a music snob here, but let's not talk about how great and technically proficient it was. There are a lot of songs out there that just kind of, you know, average it means something to me because at a certain point of my life, it gives you these feelings of nostalgia. It's true. But here are my top 10. Number 10, Allison Chains was on a bit of a hiatus at this point. And I, I suspect that most people, if you ask them to rank their top 10 songs from 98, wouldn't include this one. But Jerry Cantrell, and uh, really the main lyricist from Allison Chains, you know, a lot of stuff on Dirt. A lot of people said, oh, Lane struggled, and Lane had some struggles, but much of what was amplified on the album Dirt was Jerry Cantrell's own struggles with narcotics. And so he wrote a song about narcotics on his solo album, The Boggy Depot. It's much different. And the lead single on that album was a song called Cut You In. And that's basically, it's about drug addiction. It's about drug use. I'll cut you in, my temporary friend. It's like you're at a party or whatever, and I actually have some drugs, whatever, and you're kind of cool, so I'll cut you in. That's what it's about. But it's a different sound for Jerry. They even have some horns in it. It's a little bit different. But uh, structurally, it's a great song. Number nine, one of my favorite songs from the Black Crows. And I love the Black Crows. Seen them multiple times. And uh, we're not going to apologize for the Crows, baby. Not going to do it. Love them. All the way back to Shake Your Money Maker, man. Way back in 1991. It was amazing. I've got every Black Rose album. I do. Love those guys. But we're going to go with uh, probably one of their more up-tempo songs that was a hit. Because many people think, well, you know, twice as hard. And it's great. She talks to angels, sure. Yeah. Thorn in My Pride, one of my favorite songs of all time. But it stopped kicking my heart around. The first single off that album. Number eight, a band that uh, actually released this song, released this album in 97. And a lot of people said, hey, this is the next Alice in Chains. That's what they said. Didn't work out that way. Uh, Travis Meeks, of course, uh, lead singer of a band called Days of the New. 
If you've seen me uh, sing karaoke, you probably heard me sing a Days of the New Song. I can still pull that off. But uh, Meek's a very self-destructive dude, man. And uh, so the three key members of Days of the New left Meek's behind and formed a band called Tantric. And now, ironically, they're no longer in that band either. But Tantric is an outstanding band. Uh, but before all of that happened, Days of the New had a great, great debut album. And probably the big hit for them in 98 was a song called Shelf in the Room. And if you listen to it, there is a lot of Alice in Chains influence. But it's mainly acoustic, and there's like this, they have this acoustic bass to really haunting song in many respects. Uh, be sure and check that album out. Of course, uh, again, I, I can't tell you where Meeks is these days. He'll pop up every now and again and play a show in his hometown, and other times he'll schedule dates and not even show up. And uh, I remember when all that stuff happened, like when they reunited and they are going to have the full circle tour, and uh, they missed some dates, and then uh, Meeks was too drunk to perform. And I guess Whited got up there and said, you know what, this is it. This is our last show. We're done. There's no more days of the new. Number seven, a band that I really like. I had a chance to see them at Rocklahoma a few years ago. Thanks, Mark. And it's Fuel. Now, Fuel with Brett Scaggins, one of the best vocalists of the late 90s. And he still got it, can still bring it today. But, man, that guy had an edge and grit to his voice that was really unlike anything else. I mean, you, you know, it's like, I'm not going to keep railing on some of these bands, but if you look at the talent that Scaggins had compared to many of his contemporaries on the rock charts in the late 90s, there was simply no comparison. That guy was a singer. I think one of the reasons that a lot of people like some of those late 90s, early 2000s bands that are just kind of simplistic, I think it's because it inspired people to think, hey, if that guy can do it, so can I. And, and you could, because he's no more talented than you. He just had an opportunity. But you're nowhere near as talented as Brett Scaggins. Very few are. And we're going to go with the great song, Bittersweet, from Fuel. And, and I tell you what, you go back and listen to that stuff, man. It still holds up to this day. Had a bad day again. Shimmer, all that stuff still holds up. Number six, one of my favorite artists of all time. I guess one, you could probably say this is one of the reasons I have dreads. It's true. I think Lenny Kravitz is maybe the coolest guy on the planet. Uh, I love Lenny's vibe. I love the look. I love the music. I love how in tune he is with the world. He's just a different cat, man. And uh, I'm a huge Lenny Kravitz fan. And uh, I love to hear those stories like when he was living in New Orleans. I think he still has a place there that you could find Lenny in the quarter. Like in the middle of the afternoon, he'd walk down and go get a cup of coffee or go get a drink or whatever, and he would just go hang out. And uh, one of my favorite moments in the Lenny Kravitz experience in New Orleans is there was a uh, choral performance of school kids from uh, inner city New Orleans in the French Quarter, in the Garden District. And they were singing Fly Away. And Lenny Kravitz was just out and about and hears it and goes and joins the kids and sings the song. So that's your number six song today, Lenny Kravitz's Fly Away. And you can probably find video of that on YouTube. I'm sure it still exists. Pretty amazing moment. And I don't think it was scripted at all. I know some people will suggest that it was, but uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Number five, a band that I absolutely love. Uh, A lot of my traveling miles over the last decade or so have uh, included Kenny Wayne Shepherd and the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band. Uh, there has never been a bad album with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. There are some bands you can't say that. Kenny's always just kind of true to himself, true to the blues, uh, playing that Stevie Ray Vaughan 
Fender Strat like it's nothing. I've seen Kenny Wayne a handful of times. Uh, he does interact with his fans on Twitter too, which is kind of cool. But the song that started it for all of us, in many respects, is Blue on Black. I go back to the Lead Better Heights days. But Blue on Black with Noah on vocals really kind of changed the direction of that band. And this song was everywhere. It's still a case so you can see it on TV these days. But Blue on Black from Kenny Wayne Shepherd, that's number five. Number four, the album Dizzy Up the Girl was uh, was something that was in our minivan CD player more times than not. Of course, we had a you know a house full of kids back then. I guess we had two then. We had two. And uh, I remember uh, my sister Reagan was wanted to buy her boyfriend a gift. We were headed to the mall, and she goes, hey, here's uh, 20 bucks. Can you pick up this CD for me? And so sure enough, we got uh, Dizzy Up the Girl from the Goo Goo Dolls. And the Goo Goo Dolls have been a big part of my life, just kind of accidentally. It's kind of how life works, you know. Um, seen those guys play before, too, with uh, Bush and No Doubt in New Orleans back in 96. But we're going to go with the song Slide today, and uh, it's interesting to hear them talk about it is uh, – there was no May. You know, the, the girl's name in the song is May. All oh, May. You want to get married, run away. The, 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 it just fit. There was no girl written into it, May. It was just the word fit. So pretty cool. Slide from the Goo Goo Dolls. Number three, arguably the best band of the 90s. And uh, I got some people that are willing to fight you over this too. Uh, if, you know, if you, if you want to suggest somebody else. I got some, I got some people that are Pearl Jam fans that are ready to throw down right now over this whole thing about who's the best rock band of the 90s. It's difficult to argue against Pearl Jam. And what's amazing, too, is so much of this, too, you know, they had their big campaign against Ticketmaster and said, you know, we're not going to do that. Uh, I think in many respects, Eddie Vedder was happy them just kind of playing to their their own fans and not having this uh, worldwide appeal you know, they didn't want to be the trendy band. They wanted to play to their true fans. I think that was part of it. Off the Yield album, it's the great track, Given a Fly. That's your number three track today. One of, I think, Eddie Vedder's best vocal performances since the 10 album. Number two, probably a surprise number two, but I had to sneak in something here that's a little more rock and roll. I mean, I mean, truly rock and roll, kind of reminiscent of the late 80s in many respects. Love the video. We've talked about it on the show. This band has been uh, on the top ten list more than once, but it's Monster Magnets, Space Lord. And, of course, uh, Twiggy from Marilyn Manson sitting in the Trans Am with them as they roll down the Vegas Strip in the video. I absolutely love this song. I still jam it. I've sung it karaoke before, too. It's a, it's a bit of a chore. But Space Lord from Monster Magnet, that's a song that I think everybody needs to have in their phone. Just me. Number one for me, though, my favorite band of the 90s. Do you know who that is? Even though I didn't always politically aligned with their values, I think it's some, one of the most important bands of my generation. Because people in my generation, from Generation X, I think in many respects, this band is the voice of our generation. It's Rage Against the Machine. Shared this with my girls a while back. You know, it's like with the 92 uh, Democratic and Republican National Conventions, Rage Against the Machine wouldn't play free shows across the street to make sure our voice was heard. And uh, Zach De La Roca is uh, a visionary in many respects. And so many of the things that we're arguing about today were things that they were kind of ringing the alarm about even back then. 
But in 98, they had a great track called No Shelter. There'll be no shelter here. And uh, the bass line that Tim Tim rolls out is, is super cool. So that's number one for me, Rage Against the Machine. And uh, listen, I love Soundgarden. You guys know this. Um, love Pearl Jam. Love a lot of those bands from the early 90s. But to me, to me, when I think about the 90s and I think about where we were as a country and who was really kind of providing the anthemic songs of that era, it was Rage Against the Machine. True story. That's my feeling about it. You may disagree, and that's okay. But the Rock of 98, we celebrated today in honor of our 1998 SEC West Championship team. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Uh, best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can also find our great list on Spotify under the same handle. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. I can't guarantee I'm going to see your message, but you can send it anyway. But Roy is going to see it. Uh, so we have ideas, suggestions, send them on. And uh, we appreciate your support of the top 10 list, low these many years. All right, maybe perhaps uh, you didn't see it on social media because maybe you don't follow Campus Bookmart on social media, but you should. Legendary Mississippi State coach Jackie Sherrill will be at Campus Bookmart for a meet and greet this Saturday from 1 to 3. How cool is that? They got all kind of interlocking merchandise, too, for you. Blankets, hoodies, crews, cowbells, jackets, polos, hats, all made by Adidas, Columbia champion, Cutter Buck, and many others. Go by there and stock up on your Mississippi State merch and go see Jackie Sherrill, get some pictures made. Uh, He also is featured in the book Stark Villains. So maybe pick up a copy of Stark Villains and have Coach sign that book for you on his his picture. How about that? That'd be cool, right? Uh, But Jackie Sherrill, one to three. So many people have so much admiration for Coach Sherrill. Go by and check him out. Go by and say hello and say, Coach, thanks. Always wanted to meet you. Trust me. Uh, When he shakes your hand, you'll know it. He's a great man. Big fan of Coach Jackie Sherrill. If you can't make it to town, visit him on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. Order all you need to uh, fill out your Christmas list for all the Bulldog fans in your life. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. That's campusbookmark.net. Net. All right, let's take a look back at this series with Kentucky. It's tied 25 games apiece. Maybe you didn't know that. It's true. Dan Mullen really kind of evened this thing up for us for a while. The series began way back in 1914 with Kentucky getting a 19-13 lead stake. Gets back even in 15. Uh, it, it goes back and forth for a bit. Kentucky wins in 16. We win in 17 and 18. And then, excuse me, we didn't play in 17. That was in 44. So from 14 to 17, we played. We didn't play again until 1944. Took a six-year hiatus and uh, played in Starkville in 1950. Of course, that's the uh, post-Alan McKean years. 1951, they get us 27 to nothing in Lexington. In 52, we go back up there in, in Starkville and play 27-14. We lose in Lexington in 53. Didn't play in 54, a bit of an outlier. We do play in 55. We win. Didn't play those guys again until 58. And then there began a 13-season hiatus where State didn't play Kentucky again until 1972. The Wildcats win that one and in 73. 76 State wins, but we had to forfeit that game, a 14-7 win as part of the Larry Gillard sanctions. One of these days I'm going to sit down and write more about that. 
But the uh, wrote some about some of it in uh, Alpha Dogs, Bob Tyler. But in uh, 76, we had a good team, great defense. In 77, we play those guys uh, again, and then that begins a four-game winning streak for Kentucky as they beat a 77. Again, a hiatus. We go back to play them at 84-85. And then in, starting in 1990, we began to play them on an annual basis. 1990, they get us again, again to close out that four-game streak. But in 91, Coach Jackie Sherrill shows up. We get him 31-6, and we beat him in 92, the Greg Plump game. Do you remember that? That crazy game in 1992? Absolutely insanity. You, know, you lose Sleepy Robinson, and people think the season's done, but Greg Plump from Hattiesburg High School, the pride of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, leads Mississippi State to a phenomenal win, 37-36. 1993, they get us, and then we get them 47-7 in 94, and then 42-32 in 95. We mentioned earlier, those weren't exactly great years for Mississippi State, but we still managed to beat Kentucky. In 1996, 24-21 win for Kentucky. 97, Jackie gets him 35-27. That's the game, if you recall. That's the uh, Mike Leach game. Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator for How Mummy. And they came in here and they jump on us early and we return a kickback for a touchdown kind of get back in it, but it was Eric Brown late that made the big defensive play to seal the game for Mississippi State. Eric, of course, uh, spent some time with the Houston Texans. Very, very big win for us. And, of course, in 98, we discussed that earlier, Tim Couch gets his revenge and beats us in the Commonwealth by two. In 99, the year of the comeback, pretty crazy game, was a Thursday night game. And uh, our friend Matt Wyatt, a big part of this, you know, the key thing in this game, we had a big, big, big sack. Dusty Bonner was a quarterback uh, for Kentucky. And uh, we kind of got after Bonner a little bit. He had been kind of lighting things up. But late in the game, Matt comes off the bench and leads a comeback. And we throw it out to Matt Butler on about a 10, 15-yard out. And Matt throws it out of bounds, which is illegal. So they throw the flag, and everybody comes running back out there, and uh, we get the field goal team on the field. And Scott Westerfield, one of the most clutch kickers in the history of Mississippi State football, knocks it through the uprights, and we win a pretty amazing game. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, the Bulldogs aren't for real. Then we win that game, and that Kentucky offense was legit. But State wins it. And uh, tip of the cap to, to Matt Butler to have the presence of mind to throw that ball out of bounds. Of course, they penalized us there, but we were able to, uh, you know, not get outside of Westerfield's range. So he knocks it through. Pretty impressive. In 2000, we get Lexington beat those guys 35-17. In 2001, we get them 17-14. You remember what a difficult year that was. It's a big win for us at the time. Uh, 2002, they get us. And in 2003, we get them. Excuse me, they get us again. And in 04. We get them 22 to 7. Really, really big win for us at the time. Of course, we're at the you know, beginning of the Southeastern Conference uh, schedule of the Sylvester Croom era there. They get us an 05, 13 to 7. One of those games, you know, we just simply couldn't get anything going offensively, which was kind of the case with the uh, West Coast offense and Woody McCorvey. 2006, they get us 34 31 and 07. Big game for us. We go to Lexington. Uh, you remember Booby Dixon? Got benched in this ball game for fumbling the football. It was Arnell Stallworth, a late qualifier that we signed that ended up being the difference in this ball game. Stallworth really kind of toted the mail for us late. We win that ball game. 
and uh, ultimately go on to the Liberty Bowl, first bowl game since 2000. In 2008, a very historic loss for Mississippi State. We miss an extra point, and we miss a field goal in this game that could have been the difference. We lose 14-13. This is the game, if you remember, that I told you that Greg Byrne had shared with me. After losing this game, we went to the Bryan Building the next day. This is before we built a SEAL complex, and none of the football coaches were there. And he said he thought then, why am I the only person worried about this? Why aren't, why aren't our football coaches up here you know, stressing, trying to find a way to get bowl eligible? It was a tough, tough loss for us. If you win that game, it might be a little different scenario. Of course, Ole Miss waxed us there at the end of the year, 45 nothing. We had to sit there and, and watch that mess. But uh, that was really the game that really began the thought process towards do we need to make a change? Of course, we bounced back and beat Arkansas and then get blown out by Ole Miss. And I really believe if we've gone to Ole Miss and been competitive, maybe you don't even fire Sylvester Crew. But the genesis of that decision came the morning after, on November 2nd, 2008. When Dan Mullen got here, one thing that I mentioned to him, you know, was about uh, we, we sat and talked and talked about the landscape of things and how competitive a series had been against Kentucky. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, Kentucky? He said, we'll kill those guys. And he did every year he was here but one. Really caught us up in a series. Bulldogs win in 09, 31-24. In 2010, we get them 24-17. 28-16 and 11. 2012, 27-14. 2013, the first year Mark Stoops at Kentucky. And you may remember, this wasn't a great Kentucky team. But it took a big tackle late. If memory serves me correct, it was Kendrick Market from South Panola that made the big tackle there, that, that preserved the game. And we go on to win that game 28-22, and they gave us a bunch of fits. I mean, this was really the beginning of Mark Stoops kind of figuring out some things with these odd fronts that kind of gave Dan Mullen some, some trouble. 2014, we go up there and play our first game ever as a number one ranked team, if memory serves me correct. And, man, what a game it was. That Kentucky defense teed off on Dak Prescott. Dak was up for the challenge. Late in the ball game, you just felt like whoever had the ball last was going to win. They attempt an onside kick, and our friend Turtle Holmes scoops it up and returns it for a touchdown to give State um, a two-possession victory of 45-31. I remember Derek Cody that used to work for the athletic department. Derek uh, had the big uh, Foo Fighters theme back before before they – enforced all those copyright things on social media and he used uh foo fighters on the next i'm done done on to the next we just took care of business 2015 they come to start while we wax some 42 16 2016 as we dealt with our year-long case of sermonitis and we go out there and this is the, the thing that i remember about this game so distinctly is how hard fred ross and nick fitzgerald played in this game we go all the way down the field after throwing a pick six. Fitzgerald threw a pick six. Everybody thought the game was over. Nick leads us back and throws a touchdown to Fred Ross to give State the lead. All we got to do is get a stop. This game is over. It's over. But instead, we're dropping back and playing prevent defense, not pressuring a quarterback. And they go right down the field, and the kid kicks a 53-yard field goal to beat us 40-38. to Neil Price, who is now the voice of the Bulldogs, was at Kentucky back then. He told me his zip ball went through the uprights. He put a dent in the sheetrock in that press box as he slammed his hand against the wall and his ring left an indention on the wall there. How about that? 2017, 
Dan Mullen gets some good. 45-7. I remember the big uh, pick six from, from Gary Green in this game. He just felt like Kentucky could do absolutely no right in this game. 2018, that's a game you guys remember well. We go up there, we're one of the best defenses in the country and played one of our most undisciplined ball games of the era. A lot of uh, jawing back and forth, and we simply couldn't block them that night. A couple of bad calls that went against us, but you know, people forget this was this was a 14-7 ball game in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, we get Brian Cole to get the big pick there to kind of put us in position, and we went backwards on every play of the drive and ultimately had the punt. And then uh, we went for it and didn't get it, and Benny Snell has the long run, and ultimately the game gets away from us. And uh, we lose 28-7. And, of course, that was the week before the Florida game. A lot of people thought, well, you know, maybe we overlooked those guys a little bit because we're too keyed up to go play Florida. And then we couldn't score against Mullen and Florida either. You remember they hit the double pass to beat us in that ball game. 2019 State gets even a 28-13 win for Joe Moorhead uh, here in Starkville against them. Then the Mike Leach era begins. What's interesting, too, you know, they have not had a lot of success against us offensively in the Arnett era. You said, but, Steve, they won two of the last three. That's true. But if you go back and look at that 2020 game, you know, Mike Leach, the fewest offensive points scored in Mike Leach's career of two. We get a safety in the ballgame. Did not produce anything offensively. You know, K.J. Costello, of course, just couldn't get it done. We had to put Will in the game late. But if you go back and look at this, and let's do that together, I think, I think it's, it's relevant. That's one of the reasons I bring it up, because you know, Zach Arnett's still around. And so Arnett has just been a guy that has given them some trouble uh, when it's come to offensive production. Let's go back and look at this 2020 game. And I remember that year everybody was telling me how great Kentucky was going to be, which is an annual rite of passage in these parts. Everybody tells you how great they're going to be, whether they are or they're not. It's one of those things that for some reason there's some favor there. But that Kentucky game, we lose 24-2. I don't know if you remember this. Looking at the team numbers here, kind of in hindsight, which is the only way we can look at it nowadays. Kentucky had 10 first downs in the game. Guys, they netted 84 yards rushing and had 73 yards passing for a total of 157 yards of offense. That's it. And a couple of those is because of uh, turnovers. You know, if I, if I remember correctly, we had the pick six, and we had another one that was nearly a pick six. They could do nothing offensively in this ballgame. Yet they won 24-2 to because we couldn't mount any offense. Let's go back to 2021, a game that uh, Mississippi State won. And I remember thinking all year long before that game came out on the schedule, I said, we're going to get them. Because, again, they haven't won at Mississippi State since 2008, since the – the game that ultimately started the um, the final bells to toll for Sylvester Croom. Looking back at this ball game here uh, in 2021, when State wins that ball game handily, uh, Kentucky 14 first downs. They run for 66 yards, have 150 yards passing for a total of 216 yards of offense. Mississippi State had 438, so 216. So, again, that's back-to-back years where the Arnett defensive system had really kind of you know, throttled Kentucky and really stifled their offensive efforts. You go back and look at last year, and that's a game I think we all felt like we should have won. Even though we were very pedestrian on offense, you know, we still should have won the game. And that's one of those games, 
even though we went nine and four, you look back and say, you know what? We let that game get away from us because they absolutely could not protect the passer. You know, you look, I mean, you go back and look. You know, it's it's so incredible when you go back and look at it in hindsight. Guys, at the end of the first quarter, there was no score in this game. Nothing. Neither team could do anything. All right, we get in there, and next thing you know, State takes a 3-0 lead. Uh, we, had, we had a chance to do a little bit more there. We had a first and 10 to third 31, and only got uh, you know, netted one more yard, and we kicked a uh, field goal there. Uh, Massimo Biscardi with a field goal gives us a 3-0 lead. We get a stop, get the ball back, and we trade possessions and trade punts, and then they kick a field goal. So it's 3-3 at halftime. And again, think about in hindsight, you know, what, what did Arnett and those guys do in 20 and 21? And here you go again, another half of offense where Kentucky can't really muster anything. They ended up getting a field goal on the first drive of the second half to make it 6-3. State rallied right back and took a lead at 10-6. We're midway through the third quarter. And then Kentucky makes a decent drive down here and uh, – really got in some, you know, second and third and shorts and take a 13-10 lead after three quarters. So here you are down a field goal on the road in the fourth quarter. You just got to get out there and go make it happen, right? Well, we don't. We don't. And the next thing you know, Kentucky takes a 20-10 lead. You think, okay, well, this thing is over, right? No, no. Emmanuel Forbes jumps a route and takes it back for a pick six, which is what he did. So now you're down a field goal midway through the fourth quarter. You just simply need to get a stop, and we couldn't. They go down in school. We have very tired defense on the field because offensively we just couldn't get anything done. And they put together a good drive, and, and they, they put the dagger in. It's 27-17. And, uh, you know, we had a four-minute drive at the end of the game and got nothing from it. But, uh, again, it, it's never been an offensive masterpiece for Kentucky when they played Mississippi State. Now, last year – their best performance against the Bulldogs. Of course, Jaden Cromedy was out that game. So they run for 239 yards. Pretty good balance, too. They passed for 239 yards. So last year was the first year against the Arnett scheme. You're able to get some things done, and they just kind of beat up our front just because of the fact they could run the football. You know, Will Levis had a really good game for Tennessee this past week. Uh, you know I'm not a fan uh, but when you go back and look at the individual numbers here, you know, Rodgers 25 of 37 for 203 yards. did a good job playing cover eight and kind of keeping the ball in front of him. But, guys, Will Levis, similar numbers, 17 of 23 for 230 yards. And one of those long passes, 50 yards. So, you know, over 20% of their production in the air comes on one play. Chris Rodriguez is who killed us, 197 yards. And so – uh, looking ahead, I have done a lot of research, of course, uh, with the Kentucky, uh, you know, media opportunities this week. And um, Liam Cohen has said, hey, they had a big game last week. They threw for 372 yards against Tennessee. Because Tennessee came out and said, you know what, we're going to put eight, nine guys in a box and we're going to dare you to throw it. Well, they did. But ultimately, Tennessee wins the ball game. But when you look inside the numbers, you know, Kentucky – is a run-first team. that They want to use the run to kind of set up the pass. And so we've got to stop the run. Now, at times this year, we've done a good job against it. Other times, not so much. I think that's an important aspect of every bit of this. If we come out and let them run the football and be two-dimensional, it's going to be a long day. And we're going to preview the game in its entirety on Friday, but there are a couple of notes I kind of wanted to point out to you. 
as uh, as we prepare and kind of get you guys informed. You know, watching the press conferences with the players and the coaches, uh, Scott Woodward, the uh, wide receivers coach, and Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, they have a tremendous amount of respect for Mississippi State defensively. And, you know, we talked about how confident Arkansas was when we played them. Uh, They were going to play well. We're going to do this. You don't get that same sense of confidence from Kentucky. And I think a lot of it's because of the fact that that administration, Mark Stoops, has never won in Starkville. There have been times in the past they thought they had a pretty good team. They come to Starkville and they lose a ball game. And so everybody you talk to, whether it be, you know, tight ends or whatever, anybody that comes up there, they'll tell you. They'll say, you know, hey, this is a crazy defense. And as Liam Cohen says, the normal rules when it comes to their running game go completely out the window with all the movement we do. Because it's like usually the person that you have to block doesn't change. With Mississippi State, it does. It's like, okay, you got the mic, and then the mic drops out and a safety comes in. Do I pick up the safety? Do I stick with the mic? And so we cause some chaos and some confusion. Uh, but when you go back and look at this ballgame over the weekend against Tennessee, uh, Tennessee gets up 10 nothing in this ballgame. And then at the break, it's only 23-17 because the second quarter was really, really big, really big for Kentucky. They get a field goal to pull within 10-3. Then there is a, 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 a pass to Barry and Brown, who's maybe their, their most elite skilled player. That makes it a 13-10 ball game. Tennessee goes right back up and uh, makes it 20-10. But then Ray Davis gets loose for a seven-yard touchdown to make it a 20-16 game. Extra points good. And so you get to the half, all of a sudden, you know, the second quarter, they found some offensive cohesion. And Liam Cohen said that it took them a couple drives to kind of figure out how Tennessee was defensing them. He said, we expected him to come out and play tight. We didn't think it'd be that tight. But it was. And they hung in there and hung in there and hung in there. And then, you know, it's a 26-17 ball game early in the third quarter. Kentucky battles back. Makes the extra point. It's 26-24. Headed to the fourth quarter. At home, and you're thinking, hey, we're finally going to get over this hump and beat beat Tennessee. Dylan Sampson has a 12-yard run that makes it an eight-point game. The extra point makes it nine. So it's it's almost academic at this point. And you got half of the fourth quarter to go, but you're down two scores. Kentucky does make the field goal with uh, four and a half minutes left to make it a six-point game. But really, the story of this game is that second quarter because Tennessee looked like they were primed to blow these guys out and then give Liam Cohen and those guys some credit. They kind of figured it out and said, hey, we're going to have to put this game in the hands of Devin Leary. They're not going to sit back and just let us run the football. Uh, Ray Davis, 16 carries for 42 yards in the game, along of eight. He also had the one touchdown, you know. Um, Devin Leary, they're 28 of 39, 372 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and just sacked the one time. Uh, Devin Leary, of course, a, a veteran of a game at Davis Wade Stadium. He was the starting quarterback for NC State back in 2021 when the Wolfpack came in here and we beat them. But they were a run-first team, too. So Leary, if nothing else, will kind of understand, you know, what it's like to go play in front of the Cowbells. But uh, Tennessee did a really good job maybe dictating terms to Kentucky, and then Kentucky did a really good job adjusting and says, you know what, if you're going to give us man coverage – 
we think we can match up on the outside, so we're going to put it in the hands of our playmakers and let them go make some plays. And, and they did. And that's where we've got to be very careful because I think – would you take our secondary compared to Tennessee's? No, you wouldn't. Dane Key had seven catches for 113 yards. Jordan Dingle with four. Uh, he's a tight end that spoke about the, the chaotic nature of the Bulldog defense. Barry and Brown, five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they spread the ball around when it's all said and done to um, eight different pass catchers in the ballgame. And everybody had at least one double-digit reception. So they're going to try to go down the field a little bit. But to hear Cohen talk a little bit, you kind of get the sense that they want to have more balance. I think it's one of those things, too, you look at Devin Leary, while he is a good player, he's probably not a guy that's going to carry your team the rest of the year. You've got to be able to have some balance to kind of keep people honest. And I think that's where Mississippi State has to come out. You've got to make them one-dimensional. The problem that I have is in the secondary, we haven't been able to kind of hold people accountable. But, uh, again, we'll preview the full thing on Friday. But, again, I I thought it was interesting just kind of listening to what those guys had to say you know, the respect they have for our defense and for, for Zach Arnett and our defensive staff. But we have given them some trouble. And you could say, well, Steve, they hadn't watched the games. I don't care what the games show. When you're the team that routinely comes down here and gets beat, and in your career with 11 straight years, Mark Stoops has been there, and he doesn't have a single winning start, well, yeah, you can understand why they would have a certain level of respect for Mississippi State. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. If you're looking to bring a a big group to Starkville, whether it be for work, for recreation, maybe you want to go play uh, some golf, whatever, I don't know. I don't know what your needs are. But if you want to have everybody under one roof, look no further than Stark Vegas Clubhouse. So much more economical than getting everybody their own hotel room. Not to mention you can all congregate in the common areas and not have all these other strangers around you. You don't have to pay seven, eight, nine dollars for a drink. You can go stock that fridge. You can cook yourself. You all got control of the TV, too. Uh, whether you're looking for a family event, a work event, look no further than the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Just Google it, but book through the Evolve website because we're going to save you a little money just by being a Boneyard listener. BSR10. That's your promo code to get you 10% off. That's a nice savings, even in these days and times, right? Anytime that you can save a little smack, it's a good thing. Star Vegas Clubhouse in the old clubhouse, the old golf course. It's been completely renovated, two wet bars, got that nice little uh, fire pit out in the back. Not a lot of close neighbors, too. So if you're going to be outside, maybe, uh, you know, throwing a few back or having a little fun, you don't have to worry about noise complaints and things like that. Not that we want you out there just, you know, raising seven shades of hell or anything. But, uh, yeah, it's a great place just to be together. Because what's better than family when you have everybody together? And you can all eat together, you gather together, you can recreate together and uh, not constantly have to be texting people say, hey, where are you? We're at the pool or where are you? We're at the bar. Everybody can be together. You can have some communal time with your friends and family. And hey, if you got a work crew coming in, maybe this is the way to go too. Again, it's a lot cheaper than getting everybody a hotel room. Go to Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Again, Google that and book through the Evolve website with promo code BSR10. All right, let's take a uh, midweek look at our, our betting lines. As you guys know, there's um, you know, there's several games this week. UConn and Tennessee. Tennessee favored by a 35-and-a-half at home. Shouldn't have much trouble there. Uh, South Carolina at home against Jacksonville State. Most books have that around 15, 15-and-a-half. 15 I don't know what you're looking for. Arkansas and Florida, the Gators, minus six at home. 
If Arkansas is going to win another conference game, this has got to probably be the one. It's going to be tough, man, going at the Florida Gators are 4-0 at home, even though they, they hadn't played a very robust home schedule. That loud win over Tennessee still kind of looms large. Ole Miss now currently a three-point favorite at home against Texas A&M. This could be the sneaky game of the week right here. I mean, you know what you've got at night, right? But this Texas A&M-Ole Miss game could be awfully interesting. Of course, that is a 11 a.m. game, so you'll be able to watch that, whether it be at your tailgate, your hotel room, at your home. I think it's got the recipe for a really good game. Eager to see how that Aggie defense pairs up against that Ole Miss offense. Uh, getting a little deeper into the schedule here as we kind of wind down the show here. If we hadn't done so, to go to windabottomfalls.com and you can get uh, pre-order my newest book. It's book release month. Just over a week from now, they'll be done printing and publishing and everything else, and they'll have those books on their way to Mississippi. I'll sign them. We'll get them out to you. Appreciate everybody's patience. And while you're there, you can get all my sports books. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. And every Bulldog fan deserves Dogpile. If they don't have it, Get it to them for Christmas. Go ahead and order today and get personalized copies. Georgia at home against Missouri, 15 and a half points. That's a lot of points, considering this is two top 25 teams. Pretty impressive in that respect. You know, I expect Georgia to win this ballgame. Do they cover, though? That, that's the real question, you know, is can, can Missouri stay in this ballgame? I, I, I suspect they can for a while. But, you know, talent eventually shows up. You know, we'll see how it goes. Auburn, of course, against Vanderbilt. The road favorite there, the Tigers favored by 12 and a half. And, you know, Vanderbilt very talent deficient in that respect. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure all, Vanderbilt's thinking, you know, we got a chance. Their offense is somewhat pedestrian, but as is the Vanderbilt offense. So uh, be eager to see how that one goes. I think Auburn wins. And, and, you know, I think they figured some things out last week offensively and probably found a little bit of rhythm. But, uh, again, beginning to get some guys healthy in that defense will be big for them down the stretch uh, for sure as they push towards a uh, bowl berth in Hugh Freeze's first season. Uh, Kentucky now a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Mississippi State. you got to take that personally if you're the Bulldogs. you do. You got to take that personally. A team that hadn't won here since 2008, a team that you probably should have beat last year, but you didn't. Kentucky made the plays to win. Mississippi State didn't. But it's an embarrassment. It is to have a team that's basically your contemporary of the East to come in here and be favored on your home field. Bulldogs got to find a way to win this football game. LSU and Alabama, this is a big one. It's going to be a crazy one. Alabama's favored by three at home against an LSU offense is putting up some historic numbers. So it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. But uh, I don't know what else that you're interested in this week, but that's the SEC games. Uh, So much fun to follow SEC football, is it not? It is. Now, uh, speaking of uh, following things, you know, the, uh, the Texas Rangers. You know, we interviewed uh, Nathaniel Lowe and Chris Stratton. You know, his mom doesn't want you calling him Nate. The Texas Rangers on the cusp of a World Series. How about that? Texas leads it three games to one. Have you kept up with this? You know, best of seven. Pretty impressive. And I, I like chaos when it doesn't involve us. I've shared that with you guys before. But uh, Texas now a kind of a commanding lead here. We go back and talk about, uh, did you watch the game Friday? I did. You know, watch the, the, the end of it. You know, we were covering a high school game and then had a chance to watch the end as the Rangers come back and walk it off. 
and went on Friday 6-5. And then, of course, uh, game two, the Diamondbacks answer back 9-1 on Saturday to even the series up. Texas responds with a 3-1 win. Really good pitching performance there. And in game four, the Rangers won a slugfest 11-7 yesterday. So now a 3-1 lead. They're going to play today in Arizona. So the Texas Rangers could win the first college, the first World Series in franchise history tonight. In the event that it goes back to Arlington, those games will be played Friday, Saturday, and, and per, if they're required. But uh, the Rangers could, could wrap it up so we could have a couple Bulldogs winning a ring. And what does that mean for Chris Stratton? I mean, you just Chris decide, you know what, hey, I've played this thing long enough. I finally got myself a ring. Things kind of work out well for me in that respect. Uh, so we wish those guys the best, man. I'm pulling for the Rangers. I know you guys are as well, those of you that aren't Diamondbacks fans. I don't know any Diamondbacks fans, and I only have allegiance to teams that have Mississippi State players on them when it comes to Major League Baseball these days. I'm, I don't have a pro team anymore. I was a Giants fan for many years, but uh, I don't follow it as closely as I once did because I live in the big maroon bubble. Outside of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't really have a pro franchise. In any, so I'm, I'm a free agent in that respect. But it also enables me to just be happy for our guys. And uh, I, I cheer for everybody that's ever worn a maroon and white. I know many of you are the same way. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Steelers fan, but I pull for Dallas every weekend because of Dak Prescott. And as soon as he leaves there and goes somewhere that deserves him, uh, I will uh, go back to my hatred of the Dallas Cowboys. Just how I feel about it. But uh, it's on pause right now. And kind of on hiatus as we kind of you know look ahead, but uh, we got some cool things that are happening as you guys know. You know before you know it, we're going to be playing uh, men's and women's basketball. Uh, we're psyched up for that, and uh, you know hearing too this whole Tolu Smith thing. You know, Christian said you know that it might actually be uh, you know in January. We're still hearing that we're still hearing maybe late December. You know, it's just going to depend on how Tolu responds to treatment. And we're going to, we're, I think we've got a chance to be a good team even without him, but a great team with him. And uh, there's just, you know, a lot out there. Listen, he's still on the cart. You know, he's not even in the boot yet. You know, so he's still working through physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a big part of this. It's just going to be how he responds to treatment. But like all of you, I'm ready to get into Humphrey Coliseum and uh, have a chance to see the Bulldogs play. Now, November the 8th, a week from today, our Justin Frommer will be there. His state takes on Arizona State in the Barstool Sports Invitational. Uh, happy that we can provide coverage of that. Many of you, I know, will kind of tune in and uh, keep up with it. It's be on barstool.tv. Of course, uh, that is a uh, often a rated R, or at the very least, a PG-13 rating. So understand that when you log into that, it's going to be somewhat irreverent. And if you're offended by such language, I'm going to encourage you maybe not to watch with the volume up. Just be prepared for that. There were some people I asked you that were really, really surprised by that. Barstool Sports is kind of known for their irreverence. And so I have no problem with what they do. But if you have kids in your family or whatever, and you're kind of concerned about the language it could be, I would encourage you to sync the broadcast uh, with the Mississippi State radio broadcast. So just kind of be mindful of that. And uh, so we'll have full coverage up there. Justin's going to make the trip, and, uh, you know, we're going to go cover the team. And then you'll have your chance to get to see the Bulldogs in action 10 days from now, uh, a week from Saturday against uh, UT Martin. That's going to be a 4 p.m. tip. hope you make plans uh, to attend and come be a part of that. Go ahead and start, you know, we're in November now. You know, so we're towards the end of football season, kind of gearing towards 
uh, men's basketball. And it's important, don't let it sneak up on you. Go ahead and make your plans to attend. Uh, your women will be in action soon, too. Excited about this team, too. November 6th, it's Monday. That's right. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's Monday. You're going to see the Bulldogs in Humphrey Coliseum at 6.30 p.m. That's November the 6th, Monday. Go ahead and make your plans to attend. For those of you, many of you are going to just stay over, right? Some of you have a place, right? You're going to come, ball game's going to be Saturday night. You're going to hang out and have a leisurely Sunday with us. And you're going to watch the ladies play on Monday night and then head home. And we appreciate that. Again, the, the, uh, the tip-off, the season opener for the Bulldogs. But uh, it's here now. Yeah, just a few days away from Humphrey Coliseum being open for your entertainment. We encourage you to come out and be a part of that every chance you get. And uh, listen, I'm not ever going to give them a show and like blast fans for attendance. I know it's so difficult for these midweek games, but I'm just, when you can, I'm going to encourage you to make it a priority on weekends, especially. When you can be here for those big ball games, men or women's, and sometimes you can get the doubleheader, right? You can get the, the men on Saturday and the women on Sunday. Uh, let's make an effort to be here as, as most we can. Your kids want to come, and I understand it gets expensive and there's inflation and there's all this crazy stuff with economics nationally. Uh, but if you can, we encourage you to come out. I know it's so much easier to stay home, but uh, the team needs you. We need to create a very hostile home court advantage, and uh, there's a good chance you're going to see some really good games this year in Humphrey Coliseum. So, again, make plans uh, to attend. And also, too, a few things not going to be officially finished by the time we take the court, but they'll get those things, as Zach Selman calls them, you know, your punch list items. It won't be completed until you know, a little bit later. But uh, you're going to be pleased with what you see, even though it's not a completely finished product. Listen, that's going to do it for me today. It's been a busy day. It always is. And uh, you can find us over at jeanspage.com. That's the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Uh, come be a part of that. Again, one month for a buck. How can you, how can you, how can you complain about that? Or 30% off uh, the annual subscription price at specials running right now. So be able to uh, jump on board with that. And we'd uh, love to have you come be a part of our Maroon Band of Misfits. Yeah, our merry band of Maroon Misfits over there at jeanspage.com. And then, uh, of course, we'll be back with you on Friday and we'll preview the weekend, kind of take a look at how things look around the Southeastern Conference, give my final thoughts on the ballgame. Uh, we're done with media opportunities for this week, as is Kentucky. So I don't think we're going to learn a lot here in these final couple days. Uh, but it's an important game for Mississippi State. If you're on the fence about coming, let me encourage you to come. I've had several people hit me up looking for tickets and uh, we may be able to put you in connection with those folks. But uh, we need a raucous environment. We haven't been home in forever. And a chance for you guys to see us at Davis Wade Stadium and come be a part of that. Listen, I think the crowd could make a difference this week. I, I really do. I think it's going to be a nip-and-tuck ball game. And I think being at home helps Mississippi State. But we got a tough environment in front of us just because of the fact this Kentucky passing game just has seemed to kind of found some rhythm here uh, in the last couple of weeks. So we need you to come be the difference. That's it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 